Welcome, Twilight. Welcome, Blackness. Welcome, Inky Night. Only in darkness can I see your souls. Welcome you back to another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. I am Ethan Maestri. Yeah. Uh, episode 44, Tunnel at the End of the Light. Hey, Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. What's that over there? Um, what is that in the corner? I don't see anything. What is that over there? I... You, I... Get to the chopper. What? Get to the chopper now. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see what you're doing. Yeah, because yeah, because you know, it's like like. You see what I did? did yeah. <clears throat> you see what I did there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was good. No, it wasn't. Well, <laughs> I I think everyone knew what you were doing. Okay, I, I did. Can we move on? Uh, I think we should. <laughs> My throat hurts. <laughs> All right. Uh, so as I was saying, episode forty-four. Um, not just episode forty-four, but also. Season finale of season two. Sure is. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, By the way, I am Ethan Maestri. Yes. I didn't catch that right. in my awful Austrian <laughs> accent before. Oh, that was Austrian? I, I, I guess. Oh, well, <laughs> it was some... good day, mate. <laughs> so another shrimp, <laughs> shrimp on the barbie. And yes. we just alienated all of our Australian listeners. Sorry about that. Yeah. That was a dumb and dumber, dumb and dumber reference, yes. in case you... Uh, <laughs> Didn't know already know that. Mm. Now moving on, let's go. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Before we lose anyone else, all right. So, uh, tunnel at the end of the light. That's what we're talking about this week. Uh, we are drive back the night, and we uh, we we take apart each episode of Andromeda week by week when we can get to it, and uh, we pick it apart, see what we can get out of it, see what we like, what we didn't like. And uh, what we learned about the universe, how it might even relate to the universe that we live in, in reality. Because, you know, this isn't real. None of this is real. What, this <laughs> isn't like what uh, Space Quest or Galaxy Quest talked about? The historical documents? These aren't the historical documents? Well, what we're recording now is the historical documents. Oh, wow. Yeah, because none of <laughs> That's this... high is, praise. None of this has happened yet. Okay. So this is... Tunnel at the End of the Light, uh, season finale. So um, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, Ethan, some fun facts and trivia for us? I sure do. All right, lay us on it. Lay, All right. lay it. lay it on us. All right, so Tunnel at the End of the Light. This is written by Matt Kine and Joe Reinkmeyer. It's directed by Alan Eastman. Now, we've seen his name a few times in Andromeda already, and he's going to be around for a few more episodes in the director's chair in season three. And when we get to that point, we're going to talk a little bit more about his storied directing career. But uh, like I said, we've got a few more episodes before we see him kind of step away or exit out of the world of Andromeda here. So when we get to that point, we'll talk about him a bit more. But this one is directed by Alan Eastman. Now, as far as our guest stars, we have Chris Humphreys 
who plays Admiral Zukov Pashtun. Now, I th- found this actor's history a little bit interesting. He is a third-generation actor, and his family's credit history stretches all the way back to the silent film era. His grandfather shows up in a movie in 1916. Wow. Yeah, that was his earliest credit. And then three generations later, we have Chris, whose credits begin in television in 1979 with Secret Army. It extends into the 1980s with Buccaneer, The Fall Guy, and he appeared on an episode of the television series Zorro. Wow. In the 1990s, he played Robert Holmes in the television series The Adventures of Shirley Holmes. Shirley Holmes, not Sherlock. I don't get it. Okay. In 2003, he appeared briefly in the film The Core, and since then has appeared in other shows, either in person or doing voiceover work. Okay. Then we have Ellie Harvey, and she plays the uh, Perseid, First Counselor Serenin. Okay. Mm -hmm. Her early credits in the 90s include The Commish. Yes. Yeah. So we got another one in the uh, alma mater. Uh, She also appeared in Happy Gilmore. And had a couple of appearances whoa, 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 on the X Files. Did you happen to catch who she was in Happy Gilmore? Uh, she was the. Uh, it was listed as an administrator, or yeah, it's it's not like a named role that she had. Hmm. So I'm assuming it was very brief. I don't recall her face in the movie, even though I have it on DVD at home. Mm-hmm. And I was planning on watching the movie again mm-hmm. to see because she has very expressive eyes. So I'm sure she will probably stand out once I see her on screen. Hmm. But yeah, it's kind of a not a named role, just she's an administrator of some sort. Okay. So yeah, that was her appearance in Happy Gilmore. Uh she was a staple in guest roles throughout the 2000s in television in Stargate Atlantis, Smallville, Eureka, and much more. Then we have Christina Jastrzemska as Madame Prevor. She only has a few listed credits in television and film throughout the 1990s but was a staple in the industry through the 2000s also. Most recently, she appeared in the new Warcraft film, but is probably most well-known for her role as Gran in the Twilight Saga New Moon. Then finally, just wanted to give mention to Stephen McMichael, and he plays the alien. Oh, he plays all of them? (laughs) I guess so. All of the black-clad aliens that we see in this episode. Now, he has a long working history from the late 90s in Hollywood as a stuntman and or as a stunt coordinator uh, throughout really too many films and television series to to mention here on air. So those are our guest stars and just a little bit of background to the the episode that we have here. Tunnel at the end of the light. All right. That was some good trivia. That was trivia worthy of a season finale. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so now you need to see if you can keep it going. You got you got summary this week, right? Yes, I do. Okay. That's good cuz I was starting to panic. It's not me. <laughs> it's you. That's right. All right. So I'll lay that on us. Give us some a summary. Tell All us right. what happened in this episode. Okay. In a quiet, uninhabited system, 50 representatives gather on the Andromeda Ascendant to sign the new system's Commonwealth Charter. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been pretty. And some of the delegates would sooner have the idea go away than go through with it. But at last, it is finally happening. Amid the calls for Dylan Hunt to be made first triumvir, and his adamant declining of that title, 
an odd power surge and an attack on the AI Corps begins to take place. Alarmed and wary of those on board, the crew begins looking closer at the delegates, trying to determine which may be responsible for the sabotage that is taking place. As Dylan, Tyr, and Becca hunt down the suspected saboteur, Harper entertains the guests, and Trance plays dumb on the command deck. After a merry chase, they finally have the suspected saboteur, a de-bone-plated Nietzschean posing as a human, cornered. Just when they are about to square off with him, a mysterious shape materializes from the ceiling and yanks the suspect through the bulkhead. Alarmed, confused, and a little frightened, they rush to the ops deck to retrieve the rest of the delegates and get them someplace safer. On the way, other delegates are snatched by the mysterious phase-shifting aliens. Demoralized, confused, and looking somewhat incompetent in front of the remaining 50 world's delegates, Dylan's hopes of getting the charter signed appears to be in great jeopardy. Just when things couldn't possibly get worse, in comes the call from Andromeda. They are under attack by phase-shifting spaceships. Things are most definitely worse. Trance now reveals that this is all how things began to unravel in the bad timeline that she came from. Dylan refuses to be beaten and proceeds to demonstrate their resolve when the going gets rough. Among the delegates is Admiral Zukov Pashtun, an arrogant so-and-so whom we've grown to really despise in this episode so far. It seems that he has a fleet standing by, but he won't help unless Dylan demonstrates that he has what it takes to defeat this new enemy. Andromeda can't anticipate where the ships will show up, and incredibly, even Tyr is too slow to fire missiles at them. But Dylan thinks that they might have a chance with Trance pushing the fire button. Sure enough, Gold Trance, all the while claiming that she can't do it, does. The demonstration is complete. Admiral Pashtun and his forces engage in the action as well. It looks like they may well win the day when bad news comes again. More ships are coming in from seemingly nowhere. Dylan has Andromeda scan for the entry point and finds a dimensional gateway of unimaginable power spitting brass-knuckle-shaped fighting ships into normal space around Andromeda and their allies. Dylan plays his last card and sends their Eureka Maru to the gateway carrying Rosie, a massive bomb of Harper's design, built to destroy something, say, oh, the size of a Magog world ship. It should be adequate to the task at hand. Indeed it is. Becca, with Tear along for the ride, drops the bomb into the gateway and obliterates the portal and all the ships streaming through it. The day is saved. All is well, and the new Commonwealth has successfully faced its first major threat. But the cost is a heavy one for Dylan and crew. The Maru returns from its heroic mission on autopilot. Dylan rushes aboard and finds no one in there. Becca, Tear, even the mysterious alien that somehow snuck aboard for whatever reason that we may never know, are simply gone. The end. I kind of wish that you had read the whole thing in your or an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. No. We can re-record. We have time. No, otherwise I would completely trash my throat, and then the rest of the discussion would be just me going... Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's just leave it as it just is. just going to edit that out. That was disgusting. <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to start this out light, and I want to say, Perseids make an awesome audience. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're a comedian and you want to really get your career started in this universe, mm-hmm. you want to start at, uh, what's their planet again? 
Cinti. Cinti. Yeah, you mm-hmm. want to start your career on Cinti. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Harper could do nothing wrong. It was, <laughs> yeah. That, that I, don't, just... I don't know about that because there was a couple of times even she was kind of looking at him like, uh, where's the punchline? <laughs> What's supposed to happen here? Yeah. But you're right. For yeah. the most part, though, she was quite easily entertained. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more on Percy and yeah. uh, social grace. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, even a Perseid can bore an android in conversation. Did you notice that? Yeah, I was wanting to know what is the uh, the programming in Rami to make her act uninterested and roll her eyes the ways that she does. Yeah, she, here all this time she's been so concerned with social grace, mm-hmm. uh, diplomacy, mm-hmm. being neutral. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Not in this conversation. Oh, no. We got to get out of here. <laughs> That's right. Right. Of course, uh, she is being attacked. Her AI is, core is being attacked at, the, at this point, right? Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. So she's a little distracted. Mm-hmm. So maybe we have to give her a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. Yeah, I guess so. But you would think that a computer that sophisticated, which, let's face it, that's what she is, she should be able to compartmentalize enough. To be able to act interested in the Perseids conversation. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So that's just, that, that was rude, Rami. It was. It, was it really was. I was offended by her. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go on your ship, you know, because I like to tell stories. What if the whole time I'm thinking, oh, am I, am I boring Andromeda? She's got an attitude problem. Right now she does. Yeah. In this episode she does. Right. And maybe that's something later. Maybe that's more for a what did we learn about our characters. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah. That that would be Rami yeah. Rami has an attitude problem. That's right. Okay. Um one last thing about Perseids, I guess, uh, that I have in here anyway. If I'm a Perseid, I'm just not going on the Andromeda cuz it appears that when an, when a Perseid goes on the Andromeda, they're not going off unless they're in a body bag. What's the body count so far? We've got Hone. Yeah. We've got Cernan. Cernan. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, the the old captain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The old captain. Um, what happened to Hone's two assistants that were on? Uh, well. One okay, of them yeah. lived. Yeah. Yeah. He got away. He was. He's like a god amongst the Perseids now yeah. on Sinti. You went to Andromeda and lived to tell the tale? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all very captivated by his tale. Probably so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, highly entertaining. They they applauded, and they wanted to hear more. That's right. Unlike Rami. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about Nietzschean bone plate removal for a moment. Okay. Because I did you notice this the uh, the suspect mm-hmm. the the spy yeah. that they think is is and was he he really was sabotaging something wasn't he? He was in areas where he shouldn't have it been. It looked like sabotage. Sa- sabotage. Yeah. Okay. Sabotage. Sorry, it was sabotage. Uh huh. The Taj was the aliens. <clears throat> yeah. The sabotage was what he was doing. Um, it, it amazes me that they would debone him, um, take the, the bone plates out, but not repair the skin mm-hmm. yeah. so that you couldn't see the scars to know that there was something there at one time that had four marks that looked amazingly like where Nietzschean bone plates would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't know. Maybe he just laid his arm across an exhaust manifold. Both arms? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, I I, I saw they they explained it. I was like, ooh, that's ooh, that could be dangerous. And then the next scene, you see him with his sleeves rolled up, and he's got the scars down his arm. I'm like, did nobody think about that? <laughs> Come on, yeah. Well, even even the Klingons cleaned up their foreheads when they became spies. That's right. That's right. They did, and we broke in the Star Trek reference. Um, uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, to my credit, we did get 15 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I agree. It does seem odd that they wouldn't either be able to repair the skin or that they wouldn't repair the, the skin. Um, either way, as you say, he had his sleeves rolled up. Yeah. His sleeves were probably down when he was at the party. I didn't notice. But, you know, now he's busy. He's working. He's got to get those things out of the way. So he just has to remember to wear long sleeve shirts all the time. Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's kind of like somebody who has a a tattoo that they regret now. It's just like, uh, I, I just don't want anyone to see. I tried so. being Nietzschean one time. Yeah. My friends said it was fun. Yeah. But what do they know? They were Nietzschean. Yeah. They don't know how to have fun. <laughs> Speaking of bones, did you catch the bones reference? Which bones? Bones television show or bones Star Trek? Bones Star Trek. Okay, I missed both. <laughs> If, the, if there was a Bones television reference, I uh-huh. missed it, too. No, I don't think there was a Bones television show okay. reference, but there was a, uh, yeah, a McCoy, Bones McCoy. A McCoyism. Okay. Yeah. You didn't catch it? I didn't catch it. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> since you didn't catch it, you're going to make me say it on air. Damn it, boss. I'm an engineer, not a babysitter. Oh, I did hear that. I did hear that. Um, wow. I should have registered that as a Bonesism. That was... Very much it, so, to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not just one of those things that people... I mean, the way the whole thing was structured, it was like... <laughs> well, it's pop culture that, now. Yeah. So, of course, that's going to last 3,000 years in the future. Okay, and I guess Harper is kind of, you know, our our pop culture... 20th century expert. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he he would have known about oh, yeah. Dr. McCoy. He knew what he was doing. All right. See, here I thought it was the writers kind of playing to us, but really it's just Harper. No, it, it's extremely transparent. Okay. Coming back to Harper, instead of having Harper entertain, um, why not just give more drink (laughs) to the delegates and let them entertain themselves? They seemed like they were getting along pretty well with each other anyway. Yeah. A little more drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wouldn't have even cared that they were being microwaved in the room they were standing in. No, I don't think so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when Becca and Dylan were in there, they weren't doing parlor tricks. I mean, what? Why do you need someone to entertain them? <laughs> I know. It seemed like it was just fine before. Yeah. Why does Harper feel the need to, to play, yeah, to, to do parlor tricks and magic? Yeah. Right. I mean, couldn't Andromeda just put on a movie or something? <laughs> just do like a, Here's an account of the last year and a half of our adventures. Yeah. This is how all of you got to be here. They would have, their egos, they would have loved that. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, basically then you're, you're watching the first two seasons of Andromeda. It, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what should have been done. Right. Hey, I have a question about Trance and how she interacts with Andromeda, okay. the computer. Okay. Uh, you remember the scene where she's going through all of the delegates? Yes. Okay. And did you see how fast those delegates' profiles were flying through on the monitor there in front of her? Yes. They were so fast you couldn't even... It was just a blur. Right. You couldn't see them. Mm-hmm. All right, so she's going... Stop. Mm-hmm. Right? 
and then Andromeda just brings up that profile with that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of wondering how this works. Have you ever played that game where you somebody puts a uh, a ruler and they're they're holding a ruler up and you put your fingers at the very bottom of the ruler, right? And then they drop the ruler and then you have to catch it. Judge how quick your reflexes are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and not just reflexes, but I mean reaction time and everything. Yeah. So I mean, how how far how quickly do you usually catch that ruler? Uh I haven't done it in so long. I I don't remember. Okay, well just this is not a statistical fact. This is just based on my experience and people that I have played with and myself. 4 to 8 inches. Usually people cannot catch that ruler before five eight inches okay. have passed yeah that seems right okay um which means that our reaction i i am is, by no means an expert but yeah. that sounds factual yeah <laughs> our reaction is way slower than what our eyes see right right because right. i mean we if we we react as soon as we see that thing moving but it takes us that long to yeah. get it i think what you have to understand now is everyone on the ship knows trance is not a normal being yeah. Trance is something beyond a natural being. Okay. So at this point the crew's just like okay. <laughs> uh she can she can anticipate what's in the file before the even fi- before the file is fully registered on the screen. So that's what she's doing. Apparently, she's anticipating what she's going to see so that she can time her her vocal command so I, that Andromeda knows exactly when to stop it. So, I like, so. between every single one of these profiles going, she's back in the Maru cutting little twigs <laughs> off of her little, her plant? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, I, I it, guess so. Okay. All right. It just, it seems weird to me. I, th- I think that, I think that's just something that we have learned by this last episode of season two. Don't ever be surprised by what trance can do. Okay, but see, that's the question that I'm wanting to know. Is it trance, is it, is it because of what trance is able to do, or because of what Andromeda is able to do? Is she able to, like you say, anticipate that and time that command at the perfect spot for Andromeda to give her the proper response? Or is Andromeda able to retroactively be able to to see what was it that she was actually saying stop, even though I'm already like 200 files past that? And also, why were they going so fast if there were only 50 delegates? (laughs) Time. Time. We only got 43 minutes to get this sorted out. Yeah, man. (laughs) I guess so. I think they could have gone a little slower. A little slower. For for our sake. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. Hey, did you know we had a uh, Hunt for Red October reference? Did we? Yeah. Okay, I missed that one. Okay. Uh, Becca, when the attack starts happening, Dylan says uh, evasive maneuvers. And Becca has the response, everybody loves the crazy Ivan. Uh Uh-huh. Crazy Ivan. Okay. Hunt for Red October. Okay. 1989. Yeah. I didn't know that was specific to Hunt for Red October. I don't know that it was, but that's immediately what registered for me. And we are talking, you know... Early 2000s, so you're only, what, 10, 12 years removed okay, yeah. from that movie. And that's the only place I've ever heard the Crazy Ivan reference. Um, Firefly. Which I think is, again, referring back to Hunt for Red October. I just completely retconned that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, in my limited experience, that's, that's, that's for me. Well, how would she learn that reference? She must have learned that from Harper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But it, here's the thing. That's not the first time Crazy Ivan has been uttered in the Andromeda, uh, in the Andromeda universe. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. I didn't want to say that because I wasn't for sure. We have but... heard it before. I can't remember specifically which episode. But yeah, this is the second time we've, we've had this reference. Okay. Anyway. I, I guess we could open it to the listeners. If there's a, a Crazy Ivan reference that I'm missing somehow, email us. Let me know. Mm-hmm. Drive back the night podcast at gmail.com. Right. And if you didn't get to write that down, we will repeat it at the end of the episode. You always do. Mm-hmm. Um, Forest Lances. Okay. This is something we've learned I've, quite a bit about them. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I've always kind of wondered about the Forest Lance. Maybe not specifically forced about the Forest Lance, but maybe more. Dylan's use of the Force Lance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's bad guys, and he's able to shoot them. Space ninjas, yeah. yeah. And it seems to be effective. Mm-hmm. And then he decides to extend it, turn it into his Force Lance bow, and hit them with it. Yeah. Not nearly as effective. <laughs> no. But Dylan does this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He decides to just extend it out and whack people with it. <laughs> and I'm wondering, and I'm I'm watching this scene. I'm not kidding you. This is what happens. I'm watching this scene, and my seven-year-old daughter is sitting on the couch next to me watching this. And as I am thinking it in my head, my seven-year-old daughter says, and I quote, because I laughed and I had to write it down immediately. My daughter says, and I quote, just shoot the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then he finally gets it on the ground, and then he shoots it. Yes, he does. And she says, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. Because that is literally every person's thought. <laughs> so from the mouth of babes. Exactly. From the mouth of babes. Uh-huh. So so yeah, What what is the deal... Um. Why the necessity to extend it as a staff? Uh, a, a blunt... Fo- it's wearing body armor. What's blunt force trauma going to do to that right. body armor? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing that we can tell. Right. And then he gets it on the ground and is, he shoots it, what, three times? After it's dead, uh-huh. he shoots it th- two or three more times to make sure it's dead. I'm wondering, did he have that on the zombie kill setting? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I was just just a thought. Mm-hmm. What, what setting was that? Because we've talked about settings yeah, for the yeah, Force Lines sure. before. I, think that, well, I don't remember what setting that was, but yeah. Well, the zombie zombie kill setting is an electric discharge, isn't it? Mm, yeah. This is more like a bolt, so mm-hmm. uh, something a little higher than that, I guess. Uh, I think they could only get so many shots out of the zombie setting, though. That's true. Because they had to load up on Force Lances. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, another 20th century reference. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this one would not have made it this far into the future. Okay, yeah. I'm ahead of you. Go ahead. Okay. Whack-a-mole. Yeah. Really? Mm-mm. I don't think whack-a-mole is going to be known beyond Earth. Yeah. Uh, here, here we have the, the Admiral, the, the Sabrin. Uh, is it Sabrin? Yeah, the Sabrin Admiral mm-hmm. uh, making a reference to the old whack-a-mole game. Right. His oh, yeah, that old Earth game. British accent. Sorry. Uh-huh. 
British. I, I didn't mean that with Well, with now such we've disdain. lost our Australians. <laughs> Boy, we're just alienating everybody. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, he was, the he was pretentious. The are our two biggest supporters. You know that? <laughs> I know that. I know that. But he was so pretentious sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to air that out to begin <laughs> with. But then, yeah, the old whack-a-mole game. And I'm thinking, no way in Hades does anyone on the Sabrin homeworld know what whack-a-mole is. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't think the game survived on Earth. And that's the only place in this universe that might have it. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it's probably died out a good, oh, 2,900 years previous. Hey, I almost forgot about the game, and I've played it within the last year. Wow, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Easily forgotten. Hey, I have a question about these uh, these phase shifting dimension shifting space ninjas, space ninjas yeah um something that they do their tactic and i see this all the time in any kind of action adventure movie or show or anything they all make the same mistake okay why do they always just attack one at a time <laughs> because there's obviously quite a few of them yeah 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 anytime swarm. one drops another one pops right back up swarm tactics you know your ships they do that quite well yeah why not on the sh- on the ship sure yeah <laughs> I, I i had i had that same thought but then it did occur to me they're just wanting to sow chaos they're not wanting to actually eliminate everyone at once hmm okay somebody's got to survive well, yeah, but still, I mean, that doesn't mean you have to one at a time try to take out Becca and well, Dylan. if you want it I'm... to be a dramatic television show, yes. Oh, right. Okay, so that's the part I was missing. There you go. Okay. Well, I just think, you know, it, just sick five of them on Dylan. The, yeah. Show's over. Because <laughs> you know he's going to be baited into extending his force lance. Yep. And then you got him. Right. I could shoot all of you. <laughs> But I'm going to hit you instead. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. Maybe he has some sort of, I mean, it's a, you know, trying to not use excessive force. Maybe so. Yeah. I got one last observation All right. for myself here. Uh, so the Maru re-enters the Andromeda hangar. After the mission is over, on fire, on mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my quote. What's burning? Oh, <laughs> what's burning on the outside of the ship? Uh huh. I don't know. Um, is rust flammable? <laughs> it must be. Some sort of odd chemical reaction. Okay. The Maru is a nasty ship. So yeah, okay. Valid. <laughs> I'll I'll stop my argument right there. Oh, okay. All right, Ethan. So uh, I guess now let's move on to the part where we talk a little bit about what we learned about our Andromeda universe. Yes. From this episode. And you know what? I think there was quite a bit. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'll go ahead and, and start us off. This was something uh, we got a little bit of uh, Andromeda remembered itself. Okay. Um, it wasn't a huge point in this. In fact, it was very, very small, probably unnoticed by most. But uh, Madame Prevar? Yes. He talked about her establishing a Bill of Rights on New Holland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm kind of wondering, you know, what what's all going on on New Holland now? Um, evidently, things are progressing. Things are going well. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be dumb here, and I'm gonna ask, what did we learn about New Holland? The prince. Oh, that's why she was dressed that way. Okay, I'm with you now. And that's why you forgot. That's why <laughs> the prince, uh-huh. because the prince, right? Okay, yeah. 
So uh, they didn't say anything about, you know, hey, sorry about your young prince not making it very well for very long there. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, sorry about his nervous breakdown or sorry about his untimely assassination. <laughs> so there were no condolences or anything. No. So just, you know, hey, congratulations for what you guys are doing down there on the Holland. Yeah. And probably all because of us. Yeah. So remember that. No, and that was great because (laughs) there was a lot of references to things that have been alluded to in the last two seasons. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, we didn't get any reference to Mobius. I was a little disappointed in that. Hmm. But, you know, um, yeah, you're you're right. This is a show that is showing that it can remember what it's done in the past Mm -hmm. and the influences that these these crew members have had and the ship has had Mm -hmm. in the galaxy. And so, yeah, we're we're getting... uh, we're getting kind of a payoff in this episode with uh, all of these delegates coming together. Uh, all of them have been touched by Andromeda at some point, whether we have seen it directly or not. And, uh, and, and yeah, we, we, we're seeing uh, world building taking place in this universe. Right. So that means that there's also a lot of things that goes on, on and around and with the Andromeda and the crew that we never saw. Those were the weeks that were boring. Or... They were in book form. And I know a few of those stories now. Okay. So All there right. you go. Well, then there's a few of them. Yeah. But 50? Do we have 50? And we don't even have 50 episodes. Well, how many episodes do we have? We have 43 to this point. And there's like eight novels. There you go. We, right. We've filled all 50 weeks. Wow. See, that's exhausting. <laughs> if you're telling me that there's a story for all 50 of these delegates' worlds. How do these people have time to disappear? How do, how do crew members have the opportunity to disappear from episodes, is what I want to know. Well, maybe that's part of it, is that they, you know, they're off doing like um, states' funerals and, yeah. and, and you know, surfing contests. That, that one probably doesn't count. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just think a lot of these were probably very uneventful and not worthy of, of making a show. Yeah, probably not. So... We don't get to see everything. Not everything. Yeah. No. So let's talk about the Space Ninjas. All right. Um, we we never get a name. Thus my reference to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely black clad, can phase through walls. This is very um, abyss-like qualities. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did get some... I know they're coming from another dimension, is what we gather, or what we learn. Mm-hmm. But it does feel very Spirit of the Abyss-like. Okay. Just there. And maybe that's because we have that precedent set early on in a previous episode. So anything that phases through walls is thus uh, dangerous technology that's used against our heroes. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately think Spirit of the Abyss. Yeah. And I think they knew that you were going to think that because they immediately try to dispel that. Okay. When, when they're, because, because they make the point, yeah, we've seen this before. Rami says, yeah, but this is different. It's not the same. What I'm getting off of this is something totally different. Oh, that's right, because they couldn't track. Uh-huh. There was nothing to track that w- where they could track before. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I didn't... I uh, I did hear that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, at the very least, um, as Dylan says, they're very strong. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. After he whacks uh, one... Uh, that's hanging out of the wall, mm-hmm. hanging out of the bulkhead. Right. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was kind of an odd comment. He's he's obviously giving it his all, and it still gets away. And Dylan's only response is, 
they're very strong. <laughs> well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and you know, with the the phase shifting and everything. Uh, but what's their goal? Mm-hmm. To create chaos. So I, I don't really know where I'm going with this. We still, at the end of this episode, don't know what they're called, and we don't know what their goal is. Uh, so really, the question is for me to you: Do we need to remember these creatures going forward? Um, you know, at least another episode. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, because like we're kind of left at the end of this, not really knowing what's going on. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean they they could or could not. Well, still I, I'm be in, I'm just asking yeah. you: Do we put a pin in this in this race, whatever they are? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of things established here that are going to carry on. I mean, it is kind of interesting because you make that connection there between these space ninjas and the Abyss. The Abyss is something that we've kind of had since the beginning, mm-hmm. really, um, as kind of this is our big bad guy yeah. for this series. So, so I mean, it is it is reasonable to wonder if the abyss has something to do with these. In this episode, we don't see anything. We don't see a big red glowing spirit thing. Uh, we don't, we just don't we just don't know, and that's kind of what we're left with is that we don't know who or what these creatures are. We don't know where they're from or when they're from. We don't know why they're doing this. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Well, I just thought of it as I was saying it. When are they from? Yeah. That's, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and I guess the one last thing, you know, I'm I'm the space battle fleet guy. Spaceships, like spaceships. I didn't like their spaceships. You didn't like those? No, they look like either flying seahorses or, <laughs> yes. or uh, you know, space going brass knuckles, like right. I said before. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that when you said that, but I I did catch on to the the space seahorses though. Yeah, that's that's what I saw first. Mm-hmm. I guess I want to go back to the very beginning real quick. I th- I just kind of feel like this is something that we need to to touch. It's not really a huge plot point, um, but it is significant that here we are at the end of season two, and they acknowledge in their dialogue the chronology. It has now been two years. And they are now ready to to ratify the new systems commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of thought that the new systems commonwealth was already sort of being established with every new world that signs on. But it appears that it kind of like everyone just saying, yeah, we'll join the team. And now, finally, they've got enough. And so they're saying, okay... Now this isn't just a thing we're talking about that you guys have all signed up for, but now this is a real thing. Yeah. It, I, do you have somewhere else to go with that? Well, I mean... Because I have something I would like to tack on to that. Okay. Well, I guess I, I it, you kind of... Did you not get the impression throughout, especially a lot of the second season, that the common this new system's Commonwealth was already being formed? You have people like... Um, the the Sabra, um, or like the Sabra, I always want to say Sabra. You have you have uh, ones like the Sabra who who were wanting Dylan to go to war with them against the Drago Katzoff because 
their mutual defense pact. Yeah. That's part of the Commonwealth, yeah. right? That indicates gotta, something's in place. You've got to do this. You're right. Because we already signed on. Mm-hmm. You agreed. We agreed. You're in this now. Yeah. You know, and, and there are little things like that throughout that kind of, at least for me, made me think that even though it's very small, the new system's Commonwealth is already a thing. Right. But what we're but what we're shown here is that no one's been elected. No one's in an administrative position yet. Mm-hmm. There's no referees, you know, working out details between planets. Mm-hmm. This is just everybody coming together and saying, yeah, we all agreed to do this. Now we're going to, you know, put our Jan- John Hancock on it. Okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying there, mm-hmm. which I guess makes it a little more acceptable for what Zukov did. Because I really... I really wanted to talk about Admiral Zukov and the position that he puts himself and everyone on board Andromeda in by saying, I have this fleet that could help us out here, but I'm not going to do it until you show me that you can fight them. Mm-hmm. This guy's a moron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and of course, he's Nietzschean. So, yes, he's going to play fast and loose with other people's lives. Right, yeah. But he's representing a delegation that said, we are going to sign this charter for the new system's commonwealth. And yet, at the first opportunity to back out or to not play his hand, he takes it. Mm -hmm. And he does not step forward to help the new system's commonwealth. (laughs) And yet, they were one of the first ones to take advantage of it. Exactly. Exactly. So, wow, this... (laughs) It comes back to a long, long-standing discussion that we've had about Nietzscheans and how they're going to function in this new Commonwealth. It's it just does not seem possible. Mm-hmm. They just don't match with a race of people that are mutually going to help or support one another mm-hmm. because of the first opportunity to not support the Nietzscheans. Seem like they're gonna they're gonna do that. Right? They're not gonna they're not gonna step up the first time that it doesn't benefit them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's only they will only step forward and help when it already seems like things are in hand, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and yeah. it, wow, do you really want? I would I would have been okay with forty nine signatures at mm-hmm. the end of this episode on that charter if uh, Admiral Zukov, you know, took his fleet and flew off. I don't think the uh, the Commonwealth would be hurting uh, without them. All right, I want to talk about Rosie real quick. Uh, Rosie the Welder? Or Rosie the Riveter? Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> Rosie the Riveter? No, no, no. A different one. We're, we're, we're off of Oh, we're in the 20, future. Yeah, we're okay. not on okay. our 20th gotcha. century I'm with pop culture anymore. I'm um, with it. I'm hip. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rosie, the uh, the big bomb. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, exactly. Well, it's what? The equivalent of three Nova Bombs? Okay. Yeah. Now, I got some questions about this thing. Okay. Okay, because obviously we saw that it was effective. Yeah. And let me just say, when Harper's first working on that, mm-hmm. I thought he just had the Bell X-1 turned up on its nose cone and was working on it. I thought that's what he was doing in his machine shop. Okay. All right. <laughs> just as a sidebar. Okay. You know, that is also interesting that he was working on it at the beginning of the episode 
and by the end of the episode, it's ready to go. Oh, yeah. Skin and everything. Even though he was busy the entire episode. It was just framework. Entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Doing parlor tricks. Yeah, waving his gun around, arguing with (laughs) Nietzscheans. Drawing drawing his line in the sand. Good on him. We'll we'll come back to that, I guess. Um, But, okay, so however it happens, at the end of the episode, Rosie's ready. You're right. Okay. Uh, so they go ahead, they fly the Maru in, they set off the, the one missile that the Maru has, which (laughs) in this case happens to be Rosie. Um, so, but it it goes into the, uh, the big light, the big tunnel at the end of the light there. gateway. Um, yeah, and it goes away. So whatever it, uh, it does, it did its job. Yeah. I'm still wondering because, okay, we find out what's the purpose that Harper is building this for? The Magog world ship. Right. Okay. How exactly is this different? Uh, a couple of things that I'm wondering is, what was it at the end of season one, what did they use to try to destroy the Magog world ship? Um, or was it the beginning of season two? I don't know. Beginning of season two. Okay, whatever yeah. it was. Those those two episodes that were kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. Okay, what did they use to the try to... The widening gyre. Yeah. Wow. Look at me. Points for you. Um, <laughs> what was it that they used to try to destroy the Magog world ship? Um, that was a Nova bomb. Yeah. And yes. And we saw how effective it was. Not very. Oh, yeah. It didn't work. They absorbed all of the energy. Yes, they did. So, I mean, it, I guess probably made them stronger. I think so. That didn't work. So now we're going to throw something with the power of three Nova bombs at them. That'll do it. Will it? Well, sure. <laughs> because we're never going to see that happen now because they used it. Yeah. Well, like they can't build another one. I mean, they... why would they build something the equivalent of three Nova bombs if they weren't absolutely certain it was going to work? Yeah, I don't know. Argue that one. <laughs> well, because they don't know. <laughs> I know that. I mean, no, I totally, I totally understand what you're, what you're getting at. Especially, especially when you consider the fact that Harper was not authorized to build it that powerful. (laughs) So Dylan only authorized one and a half Nova bomb. I guess so. I guess. Yeah. Which that half, half Nova bomb yield Mm -hmm. was going to be the difference. Yeah. But why? Why overcome and destroy when you can double it and completely obliterate? Yeah. Or triple it and make it three times stronger. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm just not sure that this was a very well thought out plan. Like th- is this what is this all hey, we've got? Hey, all we've got. <laughs> all we can say is glad they built it. Yeah. Otherwise, this dimensional gateway would have spit out ten thousand knuckle, but uh, brass knuckle ships, mm-hmm. and you know the whole galaxies would have been hosed. Right. Um, do they not still have Nova bombs on the ship, or did they get rid of all those? <laughs> I think Harper just removed <laughs> the last three warheads to build Rosie. Okay. I don't know that for sure, but uh, yeah. Okay. Because at no point did they say. Oh, yeah, we've got Nova, Nova bombs. Let's just launch them into this dimensional gateway. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so I guess this thought is forming in my head. 
Why did Rosie have to be launched from the Maru? <laughs> Uh, Nova bombs could have been delivered from Andromeda to the Gateway. I have no doubt mm-hmm. of that whatsoever. Why couldn't Rosie have just been launched out of a hangar and delivered the same way? Because that's what Harper was working on at the beginning of the episode. Was he was he was uh, um, guidance he was the system. guidance system exactly? Yeah. Okay. And they didn't and have got, that in place yet. Machine Shop Seventeen got disrupted. And he didn't get to finish that. Right. Yeah, because he was he was he was busy. He was welding that thing on right then. Yeah, it, and like he got some... sidetracked off of that. Yeah, and then when he came back to it, he had to put the skin on before they could strap it to the Maru and send it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it seems like some uh, awfully big flames to be throwing at something <laughs> of such such delicate equipment with such immense power. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's just blowtorching on that thing. Yeah. Like it's a <laughs> that was not a welding torch of any kind. That was <laughs> that was an acetylene torch is what that was. Yeah. That was scary. It was no uh nano welder. No, no it was not. That's really what he should be using, I think. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um I, I want to talk about uh you, you went back to the beginning talking about Harper working on the bomb there. I, I do want to address the situation where you have the delegation on board. Uh, this is a momentous occasion, right? I mean, this is huge. Yeah. In, in the in the political, the geopolitical landscape of the three galaxies and what Dylan is doing, this is a milestone event. Yeah. Okay. You've had Harper at every non-important function mm-hmm. up to this point. Yeah. So why now, at the payoff, mm-hmm. the biggest function ever, why do you lock him in the basement? Well, have you seen any of those episodes? <laughs> I, I, and I knew you would bring this up. Okay, all right. And in Harper's defense, he was not responsible for every bad thing that happened. He was just present Yeah. for some of it. Mm-hmm. Other times, yes, it was his fault. Mm-hmm. But not every time. So... I, I I legitimately think this is kind of not fair for Dylan to say, Harper, you need to sit this one out. Mm-hmm. Go work on the, you know, the one and a half ton Nova bomb. Right. Because we might need that in about 38 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, yes, that's that's why it happens. But uh, Harper's one of the key players in the, in this whole thing in making the Commonwealth happen. And yet he gets ostracized. He didn't really seem that upset about it. No. He gets to play in his workshop. But I'm sure if he thought about it, if he wasn't tinkering and had a chance to sit down and think about it, he'd have been disappointed. Yeah. Because think of all of the, you know, hot delegates that he didn't get to hit on. He still F- got to F- hit F- on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he found his way. Yeah. That's true. Uh-huh. That is true. And you notice she didn't exactly shoot him down. She didn't seem like the type that would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she'd already had a uh, a time with uh, Zakov. Yeah, I didn't really care for the way that he was handling her wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. Seems, yeah. Seems a little... I was raised to treat women a different way. Yes. I'll just say that. It, she didn't act like she minded. No. But no. then again, no. Yeah. You don't. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly not at a diplomatic function. <laughs> Uh, and, and if you don't know what we're talking about, just go back and watch the episode. He was pretty, he was rude. It's pretty much front and center. Yeah. Okay, so I guess let's let's talk about our characters. 
and uh, see what things we learned about them in this episode. Um, I want to start with Harper, just because uh, I mentioned that we would put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Harper stands up to Big Scary Nietzschean. Yes. It takes him a little bit, but finally he gets fired up enough. He literally, figuratively, draws a line in the sand. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and so, I don't know, do we call this character growth? I mean, he's... For the episode, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He may Cause, forget cause we, next we've episode. Seen I mean, him that's a whole season away. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we have kind of seen him stand up to Nietzscheans. I mean, he did it on Earth. Yeah. To, But it, I guess not face-to-face like was, what we saw was, here. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a little more, I don't want to say passive-aggressive. Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know, you, you throw the rock and then you run away. Right, right. Or or blow the dog whistle and run away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, this time he threatens, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's the, the type of Nietzschean that Zukov is. Uh, most Nietzscheans, I think at that point, would probably have, you know, stuck a bone plate through Harper's chest. If they have them. If they, if they haven't been surgically removed, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but Zukov, he seems to respect this, the stand that Harper takes. And uh, yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Okay. Well, you talked about Harper. Uh, something I think we can talk about regarding Becca and Tyr. Okay. Uh, Becca has, throughout this series, up to this point, said that she has bought into Dylan's cause, right? And she's not a person that... Typically bought into causes. No. But she has bought into Dylan's. Right. Well, they found her. True. Mm-hmm. I I think it was really neat here how it isn't... She puts her money where, where her mouth is now. I mean, she says she's bought into the cause, and now she steps up to the plate in a big way. Because she knows she's probably not going to come back from this mission. Mm-hmm. And so she puts it all on the line. And then not just Becca, why does Tyr go along? I mean, we, we get that, that cheesy line of his where he expresses overconfidence in their ability to come back alive. But the reality is this is a very dangerous mission. And so I'm wondering, why did Tyr put himself in the position of going along with Becca? Is he that overconfident or is he this attached to Becca? That he would lay his life on the line, too. Yeah. Because I'm sure if you asked him, point blank, he would say, I'm not doing this for Dylan's cause. You know, maybe it's just all for, because it's the only way for them to have any chance of getting out of this alive. Um, what, is, what did he tell Harper when they were strung up by the Magog? Where there's life, there is hope. Yeah, that's true. As long as you're doing something to stay alive, there is hope. That you can stay alive. Yeah. When you decide to just sit back on the Andromeda and not do anything and send Becca out there by herself where she's sure to get picked off by all these fighters. Yeah. Well, then you pretty much just signed your own death warrant, too. Right, right. Whereas if he goes with her. He can hold the big gun mm -hmm. for someone that might come down the hallway. Yeah. Just in case. Just just in case. Yeah. It's a good thing. It was a very good thing. Yeah. Because who saw that coming? No. No. <laughs> but I, it's still, I, I find this, 
I don't know. As I'm watching it and the scene unfolds there, as, as Tyr is talking in, in his bravado that only Tyr Anasazi can, can pull off. Mm-hmm. We've tried it. We can't. Nope. Yeah. But there's a, there's an underlying current of care that Tyr expresses. Yeah. And, and couple that with Becca's willingness to lay her life on the line in order to do this thing for the greater good. Mm-hmm. I, here we are at the end of the second season. I, I feel like we're seeing genuinely good characters. They have their faults. They have their quirks. They take steps backwards at times. And we've seen them take some, well, in Tears' case, some pretty big steps backwards over the course of the second season and the first one. Mm-hmm. But at this point now... I mean, these are two people that are, you know, they're they're t- carrying it to the nth degree now. Yeah, they're going to complete this quest for the greater good. Yeah, regardless of what their exact reasons may be, they're doing a good thing. Right. Well, you know, the thing with Tear, there are so many times where you just can't tell when is he being sincere, when is he showing any sort of of affection, compassion, anything. For any of these other characters, and when is he just faking it until he makes it? Yeah, yeah. you know, because last week I think it was last week with the kid. Yeah, last not last week. I wish I could say last week. It's a few weeks ago when um, we did immaculate perception. We talked about his speech there at the end to Dylan. Yes, yes, and just how emotional that was. And and how much he got into that. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a side of tear. And then you're thinking, nope, not buying it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, why is it last week you're saying, no, tears just, he's totally playing the whole thing. And then now this week you're saying, wow, well, this is such a good character growth out of tear. And it's great to see him be in such a good place. Well, now. It, it's all about circumstance. Okay. He doesn't have time to. Uh, for lack of a better term, you know, BS about it. Okay. I mean, he's having a, to me, it felt, it was too chaotic a situation for him to try and, and, and BS Becca as she's in the pilot chair there. It's hitting the fan all around them. Yeah. Uh, Tear doesn't have time to lie about it. He's there because he wants to help Becca. Okay. Uh, he, he, and he, he may not be doing it for the greater good of the Commonwealth, but he's doing it for a friend. He's yeah. being there for a friend. Right. And I bought that. Okay. All right. You didn't? I'm not saying I don't, but just to play devil's advocate here, he did it for Tear. Because if Tear's not on the Maru protecting Becca, Becca doesn't complete her mission. Becca doesn't complete her mission, Tear dies. Okay. Okay. I have, yeah, I have to accept that viewpoint. But it doesn't seem as fake as what it felt like the last time we had this discussion about Tyr and his motives for doing things. Yeah. No, and I don't think it's fake either. I'm just playing the other side of it. Okay. Um, I think that we have seen over the last two seasons him having a growing admiration for everyone in the crew, even Harper. He's kind of indicated sometimes that he thinks a little bit more of of Harper than he did at the beginning. Uh, he, he just, yeah, when you're with people that much, constantly putting your lives on the line together, uh, 
every day, maybe not every day, but at least 44 days out of the last two years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's gotta be some sort of natural camaraderie that, that grows there. Yeah. Probably half the time tears faking it, but the other half of the time it is real. I don't think you would want to admit that. No. And the second that that compassion and affection for those crewmates would be something that could possibly be bad for him, I think it would be easy, easier for him to turn it off than it would be for any other normal person. Okay. That's my feeling on it. All right. Yeah. That's all I got for characters. Okay. That's all I got for anything. Okay. Um, okay, so I got some stuff on, on trance. Do we have to? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I do. I, I'm really starting to feel ambivalent toward trance. What? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Oh, let's, no. let's Let's go through this. Um, trance is awesome. You know, I mean, there were some things that, okay... Trance ends up being a big part of this episode, but it's not so much the things that she did and said in this episode that are what I really want to talk about, but in watching this episode, it got me thinking about a lot of other things about Trance, specifically about her alternate future, where she came from, what happened in that future. We kind of get a little bit of a glimpse as to what happened. Uh, she says this is where everything went wrong. Right here, right now. We find out at the end of the episode that uh, Becca missed her mark. And as a result, Trance and Becca survived on the Maru, but everybody else died. Um, we see that didn't happen in this one. So, so then we get the idea that Trance is able to manipulate the future. Or the course of time. The course of the timeline. Because she's already seen it. Now she's come back. Yeah. So she, she's been able to manipulate the situation so that it doesn't match a future that she is aware of. Right. So in a sense, manipulating the future. Okay. This is not the first time that she's done this. Right, right. Purple Trance has done this too. Go back to Angel Dark, Demon Bright. You know, that was one of the first episodes where we saw her really working things. Mm-hmm. And she sends them back, and they blow up two-thirds of the Nietzschean uh, fleet. But then that had already happened, but it hadn't happened because she had to take them all back there to do it. It's kind of one of those... It, 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 messes, and, it egg. messes with your mind if you try to think about it too yeah. much. Okay, but, but that was trance. The whole reason that that all happened there was because of trance. Yeah. Um, and now she's doing it again. She's come back in a different way, but she's come back and now she's manipulating events in order to change things to what she sees as a better future. Right. A better universe. Um, so, yeah, she's able to change futures. I kind of wonder what exactly this future is that she's from. And how far into the future was she when she came back? How far back into the past has she traveled? Because you think about in, in Ouroboros, 
that's when they make the switch. We see Becca that our Becca references her because yeah. she saw her. Yeah. She's got the eye patch. She's all scarred up. Kids crying in the background. She didn't look old. Eh, she looked haggard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, not necessarily aged. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously she's been through a lot. Some time has passed. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't get the it's the sense that it's been a very, very long time. Um, so, so you're thinking we're seeing like alternate mid third season, Becca? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, maybe that's all the time that I, needs I, to have I passed. Buy, I buy that. Okay. In the meantime, if if that's all that's passed, then why is Trance so different? <laughs> yeah. Because that's kind of the thing that I. When all this first happened back in Ouroboros, I'm not paying attention to Becca because Becca's not really important to what's going on here. It's all about trance, making the switch mm-hmm. from youthful, silly, happy, purple trance, switching with the more serious, the more mature gold trance. Right. You get the idea that's something that has to happen over a long period of time, mm-hmm. not just because of her personality change. But also because of her physical appearance. Yeah. No. You. you yeah. I, I follow what you're saying. You're getting the impression that you're you're now seeing a trance that has decades, right, or more mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah. Not just you know half a season. Six months. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not just six months. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, that's that's a pretty significant change. I was it was a shock to everyone on the crew. Mm-hmm. If if I trade places with me six months from now. I'm not sure that it's that huge of a shock. No. I I understand production reasons why she changed. Mm -hmm. But now I'm trying to put this all into the timeline and the story. It's not exactly matching up. Yeah. Why why is she gold now? Yeah, that's a good catch. If, If, in fact, it is bearing out the way it looks like it's being laid out to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that she would be that far along right in her gold transition yeah and you know i don't want to i'm not going to say too much because this is later what will we find out we do actually find out what trance is mm-hmm. later okay um and and when we do get to that point i want to talk a little bit more about this okay. because because even then it kind of even makes less sense great <laughs> great just, just just purely on what i'm saying right now yeah. just about the change and why she made the change because there's some internet speculation about why she made the change we never find out in series okay why she goes from purple trance to gold trance we know it's because the producers wanted her to be gold trance right uh, they didn't like purple trance but yeah then there's there's some there's some some theories okay so uh, yeah. take a look at that. Yeah. Consider it apocryphal. And let's see if we can't put a pin in this and revisit this conversation somewhere down the line. All right. Consider what apocryphal? The internet speculation. Well, of course it's apocryphal. They're, they're internet forums. I know. And message I'm just saying that... disclaimer. Okay. I'm just putting that out there as a disclaimer. Oh, okay. You're telling the audience. Yes. I thought you were telling me. No, 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 no. The audience. <laughs> the 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 ones in the United States still listening. Yeah. That right. haven't been alienated. <laughs> right, right. 
Not our Australian and British friends that have stopped listening already. <laughs> right. And we, again, we apologize. All right, but that's enough of that. Now, Ethan, we've got a quote. Okay. Okay, you may remember this because it was in white letters at the very beginning of this episode. Yes, it was. Okay. Welcome twilight. Welcome blackness. Welcome inky night. Only in darkness can I see your soul. That was from the Lost Verses of Krandar. Nice. You rolled your R's there. Yeah. Uh-huh. I imagine that's probably how they said it. Probably so. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but double R's, so I'm going with All it. All right. Uh, so, so what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, I don't know what this Lost Verses of Krandar... I didn't, I, I didn't roll my R's there yeah, properly. Yeah, I under, do that. I apologize for that. I don't understand the context of what this poem was written in. All you can do is apply it to the situation that we're looking at here. Uh, welcome twilight. Welcome blackness. Welcome inky night. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't see how it applies other than we're talking about an, an unseen enemy. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Only in darkness can I see your soul. I, I guess that is, it isn't, they're not visible until they make themselves visible to you. Mm-hmm. And they are largely dark mm-hmm. <laughs> for for most of this episode. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just trying to put too literal a meaning into this very abstract uh, poem. Mm-hmm. And, and in doing that, I kind of see a connection to this episode. But there again, that's that's kind of the thing about these quotes is sometimes what it's referencing may be something totally different than what we're getting from the episode, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool mm-hmm. because isn't that what we do? We take sometimes we take obscure references and we apply them to situations in our life. Yeah, but not everyone would see it the same way. Yeah, and I'm getting way off base here. No, I I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> What you're saying is that this doesn't make any sense to you, but probably to somebody this makes sense. And it kind of does to me, Okay, but not 100%. Okay. I'm kind of only partially on board with this saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 don't, I just don't get it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Woo! <laughs> I can stop sweating. Yeah. Uh, I, the only thing that kind of really makes sense to me is just the uh, only in darkness can I see your soul. And to me, that kind of there toward the end where trance takes point on the guns and they they just they they shoot, but then they disappear. Mm -hmm. And finally, she figures out the trick, whatever that trick is, she's able to figure it out. And, you know, so finally she's able to, you know, in a way, see their soul. She's able to spot them in the nothingness. Yeah. Or in the darkness. That's kind of what I take away from it. Yeah, I mean, because really this sounds like a very dark, very ominous. It sounds like this setup to a very dark episode. Yeah. Well, we get to the end of the episode and, okay, sadly, that you know, we get the cliffhanger part. Uh, Tyr and Becca are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know what circumstances led to their being sucked out or removed from the, the Maru. So our only assumption at that moment is the expression that we see on Dylan's face. It's something not good leading you to think that they have probably passed. Mm-hmm. They're dead. That's where we're left as, as a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. But 
the Commonwealth is is survived. The Commonwealth uh, stood up to this this big bad alien menace and has survived. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually not that dark. It's just we lost a couple of really good people along the way. Yeah. Mm, okay. We know we're gonna get we're gonna pick this story up in the next season. So we're gonna get some resolution there. I, I, this this seems like a very ominous saying. Too ominous for really what the episode delivers. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I'm with you. Um, A lot of times these quotes, I really rack my brain trying to figure out, uh, not in a bad way, but just trying to figure out what exactly is it that they are trying to reference in the episode, um, in universe or whatever, or maybe something that applies to us in our universe now. (laughs) And so maybe that's the writers playing the trick on us. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Here, maybe let's throw this one out there and let that twist their yeah. brains for a bit. Or, I mean, maybe it was uh, an experiment. Maybe they're looking for feedback to see if anyone reads these quotes and then tries to analyze them and figure out why they're part of this episode. That's a novel idea. Yeah. Because um, I, I got to admit, I don't know exactly why this is here. I got nothing. Okay. Shall All we right. move on? We, we we said a lot of words and didn't say anything. Let's move on. All right. Episode... I, I, I gotta get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Episode 44, Tunnel at the End of the Light. Season finale. Yes, it is. Ethan, what did you think of this season finale? I, well, you know, as far as cliffhangers go, I mean, it, there, was, there was the cliffhanger. Yeah. So we don't know what's happened with Becca and Tyr. Looking forward to next season, mm-hmm. seeing what happens there. Um, as far as the episode itself, it, it was okay. A little, I felt at times a little disjointed because we got these aliens, but we didn't really get much exposition on them at all. And okay, so if the the portal's been destroyed, the alien menace is gone. Uh, who were they? What was their purpose? You know, uh, are we going to get an answer to that in the next season? Uh, that remains to be seen. It, that's been kind of a recurring problem I've had with some of these episodes is we don't get any exposition on a new alien race or a new character that's introduced. And we just kind of have to wait around for another episode later on down the line. Mm-hmm. The The situation being where I see this in other television shows that I've watched before, this is my first time through here. So it's kind of become my modus operandi to ask the question and not get an answer and just wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I very much feel that way here at the end of season two and at the end of Tunnel at the End of the Light. Mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm sitting in darkness. Right. It was a good episode. Um, there were good moments for the characters, I felt like. Harper had some very good moments. Uh, but like... A lot of episodes, some inexplicable ones, too, mm-hmm. <laughs> for not just Harper, but for Trance also, and a little bit for Tyr and for Becca, too. Um, so, yeah, it, all in all, I was entertained mm-hmm. and enjoyed and am looking forward to getting into the third season and seeing where this picks up. Okay. Well, I don't know if anyone can be as entertained as the Perseid. <laughs> um. <laughs> Right. And also, I learned that Harper is terrible at magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, pulling a rabbit's foot out of a hat. It's 
pretty good. It's pretty weak. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty weak, man. Um, but overall, I would have to say this episode was not weak. However, he did make the three-eyed ambassador. Oh, wait, that wasn't him. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone else made him disappear. Right. Um, Which, just to see the expression on the Perseids' face in yeah. that moment, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I think for a lot of the reasons that you just said, a lot of the character moments, um, I think this was, it was a, it wasn't the strongest finale for a season that we have seen in this series. And so far we've only seen one other. Mm-hmm. That one was fantastic. Yes. It's pretty hard to live up to that. I one. wasn't even going to try and compare them. Okay. Because All you're, right. no, yeah, you yeah. can't. Um, this one here... I'm not sure that it even really felt like a season finale until the very, very end when Tyr and Becca are not on the Maru. Right. Um, through the rest of it, it just kind of seems like another good mid-season episode. Did Did you get the impression they had to finish up the story arc with the mysterious space ninjas? Mm-hmm. And they they did finish that story arc. And then they left it on that little bit of a cliffhanger, what happened to Tyr and Becca. But do you, do you get the impression that this is a show that had to wrap things up, but leave it open-ended for the start of another season? Not sure they were going to get another season to do that. <laughs> well, I, if nothing else, definitely not sure that they would have enough money to have those space ninjas again. <laughs> <laughs> yes i have a feeling this was a very expensive episode to make yeah there were some good visuals yeah I, and i will say that's that we was the entertaining we value. didn't talk about that no we didn't there was a world that's that you know what shame on us yeah because we are very quick to jump on when when yeah when they the graphics are bad yeah this one was good uh, other than the design of the alien spaceships which you know what that was their fault not ours <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they're the ones that design stupid spaceships right yes um yeah i i was i was uh i was impressed i was be- i was a believer yeah yeah there was the there was one scene in particular where one of those things appears kind of not right in front of the camera but kind of a distance away and then turns around and stalks off and thought i I've seen worse stuff on feature films mm-hmm. and and was still entertained by it. I thought, yeah, I thought they did a great job with the graphics here mm-hmm. okay, well, hey, maybe that's a new direction. Maybe we can look forward to seeing that for the next three seasons. Awesome, maybe okay, maybe not. I don't know. don't do that to me. sorry. <laughs> sorry. all right, I'm just gonna ask the question and then you can wait and then I can wait on it. uh-huh, right, thanks, okay, so um. <laughs> Yeah, good episode. Leaves you wondering what happened to to Becca and Tyr. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there will be a season three, and we'll be able to find out what happened to Becca and Tyr. Are they dead? And next week, we'll get to talk about it. Uh, What? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. not. Um, What are we doing next next time? Well, next time, we're going to do a uh, season two wrap-up show. Yes, Yes, we are. Much like we did for the end of season one. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit. Do we want to do this or do we want to just go ahead and wrap it up in this episode? And But, yeah, without getting into it, there's a lot that goes on in season two. Yeah, and we took a little bit more time getting through the second season than we did the first one. Yeah, that's true. So this does feel like it's kind of warranted now. Yeah, we really hit the ground running. And 
Yeah. And then we slowed a bit. We did. We did. We stopped by bit. the trail side, mm-hmm. had some granola. Right. And some more. <laughs> and a hit from the flask. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be doing that next time. Season two wrap-up show. And then, uh, what, are we going to take a vacation? Sure. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we'll get we'll get right into season three. Okay, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll have our season two wrap up, and then we'll get into season three after that. And so, in the meantime, if listeners, if you have anything that you'd like to uh, to to write in, maybe something you'd like to hear us talk about for the season two wrap up, uh, anything that you've seen seen in season two, or even through the first season, that we could include in that discussion, let us know. Yeah, we uh, if you email us at uh, drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. Just as Ryan said, let us know uh, your thoughts about Season 2 or the upcoming season, and we may use those on the uh, upcoming episode where we review said Season 2. We're on the social media, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle at Andromeda pod at both of those places we're also on podbean that's our home www.andromedaseries.podbean.com while you're there you might notice a tip jar if you should feel so inclined you might drop a few small coins in there and if you listen to us on itunes uh, be sure and give us some stars Uh, you might even just take a moment to give us a review and we would certainly appreciate that thank you good thanks to our big friend doug anderson who once again gave us the quote for this episode and most of Season 2. We hope to have him return again for Season 3. We are an Age of Geek production. Check them out, www.ageofgeek.com. And we invite you to join us back here again next time for our Season 2 wrap-up.